we uh, want to welcome you to Stone Point. We want to welcome those that are joining us online, uh, wherever you might be, and as well as those that, that are joining us in the Edgewood campus. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love Courtney's story. Uh, I love Courtney's story for a couple of reasons, uh, one of which I had the privilege of sharing my faith with her about three years ago at Dairy Queen. And uh, for Courtney to follow and trust Jesus uh, and to be obedient to God's call on her life and to have salvation and to follow it in believer's baptism, I believe uh, three years ago at Splash Kingdom, if I'm correct, uh, is an amazing thing. Uh, but I also love just the radical nature of her faith. I love the fact that she doesn't say no. Uh, the very first time, I remember just, uh, I mean, <laughs> petrified in her eyes uh, being in Mexico and us throwing her in uh, to uh, teach at an orphanage there. And uh, I remember that there was, there was this tension. One, she felt like she had something valuable to say and that she was trying to be obedient. Two is... We gave her absolutely no time to prepare, which is awesome because 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. We shouldn't have to prepare to give an answer for what we believe about Jesus. And so she got thrown into there. She did an amazing job. But it was just the beginning for her. That mission trip just sparked more of what God wanted to do in her life. And it's been awesome to see her faithfulness to a, a Corinth, a 1 Corinthians 7 passage, that her singleness and her outright devotion just to be pledged to Jesus, not to another man, has not held her back. She has been free to go. She is free to go for 11 months, explore the, uh, the world, share her faith. And I don't know about you, but that's an amazing thing. Uh, I'll tell you this, though. One thing about Courtney's story that often also challenges me is this, is how do some of us in here that have been believers for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, how do we get surpassed up so easily by someone who's only known Christ for three years? I mean, honestly, think about the things that many of us say, how many excuses we make just to be involved in radical community around us. I, even to be a part of something tonight, a baptism where we're going to see people go publicly with their faith in Christ and why we can't do that. This girl didn't make any excuses. And I'll tell you this, she's going to be at baptism because she loves this church. She loves this body. She wants every last moment that she has since she's quit her job just to embrace community, hang out with her friends, and to be here. She came and just hung out with us this last Monday, went to lunch with our staff. She loves this church. She loves what God's doing here, and she can't wait to be a part of what God is doing around the world. And I'll just challenge you, whether you're here in Will's Point, whether you're joining us online, whether you're in Edgewood, can I just say, hey, don't miss out on what God is doing. How does God make a firm oak out of a young woman like that in three years? And for so many of us, we're tossed to and fro, and we would claim to have known Christ for 20 or 30. I would just say it doesn't add up, Right? Why? Because Jesus said something very important in Matthew 7. He said, you will know a man by his fruit. What comes out of us is what God has done in us. And so I just pray that church, we would really take a look and just say, hey, uh, God, why can't I be like a Courtney? Now, what I did say is, why can't I be like a Courtney? I didn't say, hey, God, can I be a Courtney? See, God's written a story for you. He has places and things for you to do. And it may not be the world race, and it may not be Africa, and it may not be Mexico. Maybe it's your next door neighbor, and maybe it's somewhere else. The question is, will you just have the heart of a guy like Isaiah? Here I am, Lord, send me. That's the key.
Let me pray for us, church, and then we're going to dive in to Revelation chapter 13. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you that your grace is sufficient in our weakness. God, we thank you that you have purposes and you have plans for our lives. And God, I pray that we would just, that we would follow you with confidence. Uh, Lord, that we would not be dismayed for the Lord, our God is with us wherever we go. Uh, Father, I pray that you would give us strength, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us grace. And I pray, Lord, that as we dive into a text in Revelation chapter 13, that you would give us a spirit of understanding. Uh, We thank you, God. For all that you've done, we thank you for this time together. We pray that you would bless our hearts and that you would keep our eyes focused on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. Uh, We're continuing our series called Signs. If you're uh, joining us for the very first time since we've began this series, uh, I believe this is week 10. Uh, We've taken 10 weeks to kind of work through uh, the book of Revelation. We've coupled a couple of chapters together. For the most part, we've been trying to take a chapter a week. Uh, We're landing in Revelation chapter 13, but up to this point, we have covered a lot of ground. And so if you're here for the very first time, uh, you will have easily been thrown into a, a, the middle part of this book, and you may even look at, uh, at this book and you go, I have no idea what he's talking about. And I would just say that's okay. Uh, one of our pastors would love to meet with you uh, at the end of our services uh, here on our Wills Point campus. We would love to meet with you in our connection point. Uh, Pastor Brian uh, or anyone on that uh, campus in Edgewood would love to meet with you. If you have any questions, you want to just set up a conversation, we'd love to visit more with you. Uh, but this is a a fairly challenging book, and so we, uh, we pray that God would help illumine us and our eyes uh, to see. Revelation chapter 13, uh, it's coming off a chapter in which we saw uh, a, a, a dragon, and this idea of the dragon um, uh, in chapter 12, and uh, this idea of uh, not only a dragon, but ultimately um, something else, the Antichrist, uh, a beast coming up. And so you see a dragon, a beast, the dragon being Satan, the beast being the Antichrist. And uh, here you're going to see uh, what this Antichrist really is in Revelation chapter 13. And so here it is, uh, verse 1. It says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads. Uh, the idea of the seven heads is just a reminder of what Daniel said in chapter uh, 7, verse 7. It said, The seven heads with t- ten diadem on his hordes and blasphemous names on its head. Uh, and then, verse 2, it says, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to the dragon gave its power and his throne and great authority. So the idea is in, in Revelation chapter 12, you see this dragon, you see who he is, and that is... Uh, Satan, the adversary, it is uh, the one that has accused from the very beginning. Uh, Revel- uh, Revelation chapter 12 says that it is the ancient serpent of old. Matter of fact, if you know anything about your Bible, whether you've been here for uh, this is the first time or this is the fifth time or you've been here for five years, uh, you know that Satan, his goal has just to to accuse the brethren. That means that he wants to accuse you, he wants to tempt you, he wants to lure you away if he can. Uh, He even wants to approach God and his throne on your behalf, Uh, even like he did a guy like Job. And he goes, oh, if you took everything away from Job, this guy's not going to worship you. He's not going to follow you. He's not going to be obedient to you. Why would he do that? The only reason, and Satan says, that people are obedient to you, oh God, is because what? You give them things. 
And so he's the accuser. He did it in Genesis chapter 3 to Adam and Eve, and he'll do it to you. Um, and so you see this as he's the accuser. But the deal is, is that there's going to be a point that the accuser desires worship himself. And not only does he desire worship himself, but he's willing to give all his power to someone else. And in Revelation chapter 13, it says who that person is. Now, when you look at verse 1, where it says, I saw a beast, that beast is distinctly different than the dragon in chapter 12. And then when it rises out of the sea, it just says that it's got 10 horns, it's got seven heads with 10 diadems on its horns, and then there's blasphemous names on its head. It, It just is a reminder of Daniel 7. So in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel gives us an entire chapter, which I encourage you to go read last week. If you didn't have a chance to read it, I encourage you again to go read it. It really helps give a clear picture of the end times. It helps you give an understanding of, of really uh, four superpowers back in the day. Uh, and then it also kind of moves you past, not just those superpowers, but into a superpower that w- would come and would be, and it's Rome, And then beyond Rome, it kind of goes and it shows you something that would come out of Rome. And the idea of it, as you continue to read down, is one in chapter 7, verse 25, that would send blasphemous utterances against God. It'd be the one who would speak against God, who would, uh, he would rise up. In Daniel chapter 7, he calls him the little horn. It's the Antichrist. And if you read that clearly, you'll notice that it'll go along with what we've talked about in Revelation. Matter of fact, here's an extra homework assignment for you because I know you're loving that, okay? Especially all you teachers getting ready to go back to school the next week and a half. Uh, (coughs) If you will take Revelation, Daniel 7, and then you'll go just to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus himself tells you everything about about Revelation in the entire book in one chapter in Matthew 24. And so he'll help you put all these pieces together. Verse 2, it says, The beast, okay, uh, was like that of a leopard. So that this beast, which is distinctly different than the dragon, was, was similar to what it says, like a, a leopard. That is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, that of the country of Greece, which we saw. Its feet were like a bear's. It's a reference to Daniel chapter 7, which were the Persians. Its mouth was like a lion, which is another reference, which is Daniel 7, to that of what would have been like Babylon. And then it says, and the dragon, he gave his power and his throne and great authority. So what that's simply saying is this. At the very end of time, after we believe as Christians, Jesus comes and he returns to rapture his church, it's going to usher into a seven-year period. It's called the Great Tribulation. The last three and a half years of that is going to be for Israel, what's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's where God is going to put a rod on their back. He's going to judge them, discipline them. Uh, and through that, they're going to find salvation. But as they found, find salvation, they're also going to find great condemnation from Satan and his adversaries. And here's what Satan's going to do. Satan is going to realize that he is limited in influence unless he has a person. Now, let me explain this to you real quick. That has always been the case with Satan. Satan is always limited in authority without people. Think about it for just a second. God is not limited by anything, but Satan is limited by all things. He's limited by time and space. He is limited by power and influence. And one of the greatest ways that Satan accomplishes his purpose is, is if he can get behind the scenes and he can influence people. 
okay? I mean, you think about some of the most significant times in all of history. You think about the great Holocaust, and you got guys like Stalin, and you got Hitler. Was it just that they were evil men? Yeah, they were. But do you know who was influencing the behind the scenes? The adversary and his peeps. So the idea there is that it's always through. 9-11, one of the most significant days for us in history. If you were born back then, uh, it was what? Men influenced by the power of the enemy. And they did sinful things. And they destroyed lots of lives and lots of people. Here, what Satan will do is he will no longer give authority to multiple people. He will give authority to one. And that would be the great beast. The one who will rise up and ultimately give great utterances against God. He will set himself on the throne in Israel. He will become what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, the abomination of desolation. He will be what happened about 170 years before Jesus came when Israel was assaulted by this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. He took and he took pig entrails and he threw them across the temple. And it was the greatest abomination that people in Israel had ever seen. They called it the abomination of desolation. Why? Because the temple was desolated. That's what Jesus refers to in Matthew chapter 24. When he does, he's talking about the Antichrist who will set himself on, th- on the throne, will have all of Satan's power, and he will become the greatest abomination of desolation the world has ever seen. And he will sit on the throne in Jerusalem, a new temple, and he will say, worship me. Got it? You're like, I think so, maybe. Okay, well, let's continue on. Verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now, last week, we talked about the seven heads, and we talked about the reference to the seven heads typically meant uh, the idea of nations. Matter of fact, Revelation chapter 17, verses 9 and 10 answer the whole thing for us. Matter of fact, I'll show it to you up on the screen. Revelation chapter 17, 9 and 10, it says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads <clears throat> are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They also are the seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does, he must remain a little while. Um, I I forgot to put that on there, actually, so that's not their fault. That's mine. Um, In Revelation chapter 17, here's what it says. It says, there are seven heads. These are the seven mountains, or the people groups, in which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. It says, five have fallen, one is... So five have fallen. I showed you last week. You had Egypt. You had Assyria. You had Babylon. You had the Persians. You had the Grecians. That's five. One is Rome, which in the time that John writes this book, there is one that is Rome. And then it says, and one will fall and one is yet to come. But when he does come, he must remain only a little while. Well, here in verse 3 of of Revelation 13, it says, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. What that is, and you can underline it, is Rome resurrected. There was five that was, there was one that is. Verse 3 says, it will die and it will be resurrected. And the idea of it is that one day, all of the Antichrist's power will rise out of Rome. Daniel chapter 7 says it's a ten-nation confederacy. It says there will be four kings. One king will rise above the others. He'll usurp all their authority. He'll rise and he'll have all the power of the world. He'll deem that people should worship him. That, my friends, is what you call the Antichrist. 
Verse 4 says, And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? What he is, is the anti-type of Christ. He is the one who would say, I am worthy to be worshipped. Matter of fact, people would chant, who is like the beast? Who's like the beast? The idea is, is there's no one like him. And people are going to bow down to this man. With all of his authority, they're going to bow down to him. Now, John is showing us what Daniel showed us in Daniel chapter 7. And here's what you'll notice, is that the Antichrist will be referred to several different things through the book of Daniel and on through your Bible. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 8, Daniel calls him the little horn. In Daniel chapter 8 verse 23, he is the king of fierce countenance. In Daniel chapter 9, he is the prince that shall come. In Daniel chapter 11, 36 through 45, it talks about the one that's the willful king. That's the Antichrist. In John chapter 5, you'll see that he is the one who comes as his own name. In 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul talks to the church in Thessalonica, and he says he is the one that is the man of uh, the son of perdition, the man of sin, the lawless one. Uh, lawless one. He is the Antichrist. So the idea is the anti is puts himself in the place of something. What does he put himself in the place of? Christ. Anti, place of Christ. Messiah. He puts himself on the throne. People worship him. And he receives all power from the dragon, Satan, to him, the beast. Verse 5 says, And the beast was given a mouth, utterly haughty and blasphemous words. That's a reminder of Daniel 7. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. You see that? It's a common theme over and over and over again. The seven-year period of the tribulation is three and a half years of peace. And the last three and a half years is where the dragon gives all authority to the beast. It's where the Antichrist usurps God most. He sets up his throne he brings calamity on the earth. There are wars, there is destruction, there is famine, there is peril, there is sword. All the last three and a half years of the tribulation are terrible. And that's where he is trying to accomplish most of his purposes. Verse 6 says, And then it opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. That last three and a half years, his main purpose will be to be like Christ. He'll be the anti-type. He'll make himself like Christ. The only difference is, is he'll, he will say many false things about who God is and about his son Jesus. He will disguise himself. Uh, he will ultimately bring calamity on the earth. He will even kill. It says the saints, they'll conquer them. The idea is that he'll kill them. Now, let me just remind you something. When it says that he'll conquer them, it literally means a physical death. Because we know that in our Bibles, if Jesus has saved us, John chapter 10 tells us that if Jesus saved us, we're in the palm of his hand. Jesus says, even the Father's hand is greater than mine and nothing can snatch you away. So the idea is not a salvation here. It's not like the, the uh, beast or the Antichrist rips salvation away from people and then kills them. The idea is because they will not bow down to him, because they will not worship him, he will destroy them. He will keep food from them. Uh, he will ration everything. He will literally put them out on a ledge. He will make them choose. And he'll say, hey, will you worship me? You remember Nebuchadnezzar? built this huge statue, and, and he told all the people, when the trumpet blows, you need to bow down. And you remember why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ended up in a fiery furnace? Because they refused to do what? Bow down. 
when you don't bow, bow down to the king of fierce countenance, the Antichrist, he kills you. That's the goal. And so it, it's going to be that in essence. You bow down to me or you lose your life. And they'll lose their life. But listen, when you lose your life for God's sake, guess what? You gain it. And so the idea is that there will be many saints that are ushered home because they won't bow down. And they will be rewarded. And so just know that that's what it's talking about. The latter part of verse 7, it says, And authority was given uh, it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell, verse 8, on the earth will worship everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life and the Lamb who was slain. The idea is those who do not know John 10, the voice of the good shepherd, will worship the beast. The idea is that if you don't know Jesus in those last days, you will bow and bend your knee to the beast, the Antichrist. And so at the very end, it's going to be very clear. Jesus has either drawn you or you have rejected him. And so you see all throughout your Bible times that the, the Father is drawing us. John 17, 24, we see that from the foundation of the world, he has been drawing us. 1 Peter 1, 20, the work of Jesus has been ordained before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4, he has chosen those who he's going to redeem before the foundation of the world. Revelation 17, 8, names are written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, verse 34, the kingdom of heaven has been prepared for the redeemed before the foundation of the world. You got this idea? And so it's not going to be a surprise when you get to the tribulation and people are coming in faith in Jesus. That's not going to be a surprise to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so you know that. Verse 9 says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Verse 10, if anyone has to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance of the faith of the saints. The bottom line is there are going to be many that are led astray, and there are going to be many that are led to the sword. And he goes, hey, if it means that you're led away, you're led away. If it means that you're led to the sword, you're led to the sword. If you're a saint, you are willing to die. Now here's something. Listen, real quickly. <clears throat> The thing about Courtney's story is that if, if you're not careful, you'll walk out of here today and you'll say something really foolish. You go, you know what? I just couldn't do what Courtney's doing. And I'm going to be praying for you, sister, because I, I know that it's going to be dangerous out there. And I just, I, I don't, we do, I'm so sorry that you're having to go into danger. No, no, no. The gospel calls you to danger. The gospel doesn't call you to comfort in the American dream. My friends, listen to me. We have it wrong here. What we're doing, what you're experiencing, what we have become so common to us in the worship place on a Sunday morning, this is not it. We are blessed, but the gospel calls us to so much more. There is so much more risk in the world that the Lord would love for us to endure. I mean, we think that it's really scary going to a new journey group and meeting eight new people. I mean, think about that for just a second. I just don't know that I can do that. I mean, it's just... It's, I'm like, no, he's calling you to go risk your life for the sake of God. He's, he's in saying, even here in the last days for those that are there, he goes, hey, if you're going to be slain with the sword, then go be slain by the sword. If it's going to be that you're led into captivity, go and be led into captivity. Who showed us faithful endurance in captivity? Daniel. Who showed us faithfulness in not only peril and sword? John the Baptist. You just go. And if you lose your life, you're faithful 
you know that God will reward you in the next. What if our prayer from today was not anything about the tribulation or about the beast or the antichrist or things that we really all can't understand? But what if our prayer was like, Lord, would you just, in the last days of my life, would you just lead me to hard things? Would you just lead me to places that make me uncomfortable, but ultimately in the end make you famous? What if that was our prayer? Would you just help me to step out and walk on the water like a guy like Peter? Not afraid to fail, not afraid, just good. You just help me. That's the idea. Verse 11 then says, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. I don't know about you. When you're reading this, you're like, okay, I can't do it anymore. There's dragons, there's beasts. Now there's another beast. What, like, Could you imagine being John and seeing all this? Then could you imagine if he wasn't led by the Holy Spirit having to write all this down? What a crazy thing. So here it is. He's seen a dragon. He's seen the beast that shows the Antichrist. And then verse 11, it says, now there's another beast that's rising out of this established world order that is now there. It says it has two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast with whom the mortal womb was healed. Huh? Here it is, okay? Now catch this. If you haven't understood much of Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation 13, I'm going to sum it up for you really quickly. When you get to verse 11 and 12, basically it says there is another that is like the beast. He has very similar authority and he is drawing people. If you were a Christian, from the very small days of your youth, you have heard that there is a father who is a God in heaven he had a son named Jesus, and he leads people by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have ever heard that there is a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, say yes. Okay, that wasn't all that emphatic. I didn't hear them at Edgewood. Let's try it one more time. If you ever heard there's a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, say yes. Yes. So listen, just as there is a triune Godhead, there is a triune experience happening in the demonic realm. Look at it. Here it is. Revelation 12 and 13. You have Satan the dragon who hands his authority to one who will enact it in the end. His name is the Antichrist. And then you have another one, and his name is the false prophet. He acts as if the spirit is drawing people to the throne. That's the false prophet. It's the second beast. And so here it is. You've got Satan the adversary. He gives all power. Here it is to the beast, the Antichrist. And the Antichrist has one who's the false prophet. And he is going through the nation of Rome that's been resurrected all throughout the world. And he's saying, hey, come worship the beast. Bow down to the beast. He is this worker with great power and influence. That is him. And so you have Satan, you have the Antichrist, and you have the false prophet, all shown right there in Revelation 12 and 13. And so do you think that maybe there's a reason it's called the Antichrist? I mean, how anti-typical can you get? You have a triune head. You have Satan, the adversary, you have the beast, and you have the prophet. You have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. It's very similar in that sense. Verse 13, 
it, meaning the second beast, it says it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that is wounded by the sword and yet lived. The idea here is he'll be able to do all things. I mean, he'll be able to, to uh, bring signs and wonders. Uh, we see that even Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. He says in verse 24, he says, Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, the speaking of the last days, there he is, he says, do not believe it. That's what Jesus says. He says, verse 24, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. The reason that Satan and his adversaries do all that they do is they want to lead people astray. And so how do we not get led astray? We know who our shepherd is. We hear his voice and we follow him. Verse 15 says, And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Verse 16, it also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked to the right hand of the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. All that's doing is referencing back to Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, one of the four horsemen that came was a four horsemen. One of them was one that re represented famine. Uh, on the earth. It was the, the, the notion that you couldn't buy, sell, or trade. Let me just remind you what it said in, in Revelation chapter 6. So here it is up on the screen. You ready for it? Uh, verses 5 and 6. It says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, there's a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales on his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a Daenerys. Remember, a quart of wheat back then um, or a Daenerys should have bought eight quarts of wheat, but you're basically being rationed. It's, it's a time where supply and demand apparently is high, and there is a famine in the land. Why? Because you can't buy. And it says, in three quarts of barley for a Daenerys, and do not harm the oil and wine. The idea here goes along with verse 17. Let me show it to you one more time. Verse 17, it says that you're going to take a mark on the right hand of the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. So Mark in reference to is verse 17 or verse 18, and that is what we'll see here in a second, the mark of the beast, which is 666. So basically the idea and what it's saying is, is that these, these men will have authority. You will have the Antichrist, you will have the false prophet. They are going, they are doing signs and wonders, they are deceiving, and then they're killing. And then it says this, and if you don't take the mark of the beast, guess what? You'll have a difficult time getting your hands on a loaf of bread. They are going to put you out. You will have a difficult time buying and selling or trading. You will have a difficult time living. They're going to make it very difficult on you. And so that brings to notion what we were talking about in verse 10. If anyone's led into captivity, okay, go to captivity. If you're ever led by the sword, go to the sword. It's going to be very difficult in those last days to be a faithful witness is what the scriptures are telling us. And so here's what we need to be thinking of is that uh, we need wisdom. Verse 18 even says, this calls for wisdom, meaning you hear all this, this calls for wisdom, and then look what it says, the one who has understanding, calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. And you may wonder, well, how in the world did they come up with that number? Well, here it is. In creation, there are seven days. On the seventh day, God rested. Uh, everything was good and perfect. On the sixth day, though, he created man, man that was capable of denying the God we loved, capable of sin. 
six, the number, is always the day of man. You know why? Because man always falls short of the glory of God. And because we fall short of the glory of God, we take the number six. And so you can just go six, six, six. Why? Because we fall short of the glory of God. Do you know why we fall short of the glory of God? Because we're sinful. And we need a holy God who's perfect and right. And you know what he did? He sent his son Jesus, who had never sinned. And he laid his life down. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know why he did that? Because he loves you. And here's what I want you to understand. Is he loves you and he, he, he wants to buy your life. He wants to ransom you. He wants to, to have you. He wants you to accept him, follow him, trust him for salvation. And here's what I want you to know. Is if you don't trust him for salvation, uh, you won't be with him in the next life. Uh, and I'll tell you this, we don't trust God because of heaven, because heaven is not heaven without a holy God in heaven. And so just tell you, hey, be careful as you're talking about baptism today, and we're talking about the faithfulness of God to not say to one of our youngsters, hey, don't you want to be baptized? Because of course, don't you want to go to heaven? Listen, heaven is nothing without the God of heaven. And so the key is, is to help our kids understand that there is one who is faithful, who will not deceive who will not lie to you. He is the name above all names. His name is Jesus. He is the perfect lamb that was slain on our behalf. He gives us the ability to trust God, to have salvation from God, and to live according to the Holy Spirit, to see truth, right from wrong, to understand that even in all of this, that we could actually have eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen? And so may we leave encouraged, and may we leave having a little bit better understanding of the beast, the power that Satan gives him, and the false prophet that's going and gathering people for the day uh, where they all take the number 666. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We, uh, we are very uh, mindful of the fall of man. We know that we fall short of the glory of God. Uh, we also know that we don't really want to see this day a seven-year tribulation in person. Um, and so, God, we pray that you would... Um, Help us to understand the seriousness of this book of Revelation. Uh, though it talks about um, dragons and horses and uh, lots of things that are very difficult to understand, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, give us a spirit of understanding. Help us to know that you're all-powerful, that you are all-knowing. Help us to know that you care so deeply for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide us towards truth and salvation. We love you. We thank you for your salvation, for your faithfulness, for your goodness. And I pray that you would develop us uh, into the people that you've called us to be. Thank you for Courtney. Thank you for her story. Thank you for the 11 months that she's going to spend traveling the world. May many people hear about you and about your son Jesus for the very first time. Uh, Lord, we pray that it would be a fruitful trip. And we pray that we would be blessed by being able to watch along from a distance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.